So we're going to continue on in John chapter 8, and I just want to say that before we get on to this next section in John 8, I just think that uh, Brother Matt Carnes did a wonderful job last week. Um, he had a uh, challenging subject to cover. He really did, and I did not intentionally leave him with having to cover a section of Scripture that is not in the earliest manuscripts. <laughs> I did not intentionally get, uh, think about that. Oh, I don't want to cover this. I'll let Matt cover it. But he did a great job. And um, I just appreciate uh, him being able to, you know, be, be ready to do that and uh, not be intimidated by it. You know, we shouldn't be intimidated by anything with God's word. God's word is true. It's trustworthy. It can be trusted. And I love, just to reiterate what he said, I think the heart of this section uh, in verses uh, chapter 7, 53 through 8, 11, the heart of that section holds true to biblical doctrine as a whole in scripture. And, and that's why we can learn from it. And that's why we believe it, it belongs in, in the canon of scripture. It's just out of place. It shouldn't have been in this section in, in John. And there's another section in the book of Mark towards the end. And when we went through Mark, I think I ended up covering that section. And it's just, it's misplaced. But everything within the story of the woman caught in adultery holds true to biblical doctrine about Christ, about grace, about forgiveness and mercy and, and the attitude of the Pharisees. You just, you, you see that throughout the Gospels. And so we see that in that section. And so you clearly see that where I'm going to pick up in verse 12 here in chapter 8, we're picking up the conversation that was happening before you get this section that Matt covered for last week. So it clearly we're continuing where, where we left off, I guess, two or three weeks back. And where we left off is that it's the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of, of Tabernacles for the Jews it was a week-long feast that, that it, it celebrated the remembrance of Jesus, uh, uh, not Jesus, well, Jesus uh, eternally, but, but, but God um, with the children of Israel through their wilderness journey. And so it's, it's a time of celebrating that God's faithfulness was with them all those years. And so this, we're still in that conversation. Jesus, if you remember back, Jesus' brothers told him at the beginning of the feast that you need to go to Jerusalem. You need to go to the temple and you need to show yourself. If you are who you say you are, you need to make a public display of who you are so everyone can believe in you. And then Jesus said, well, I'm not going to go. You guys can go. It's not my time yet. And what he meant by that was that it was not his time to be arrested and crucified and die on the cross yet. It was not the appointed time. So his brothers left, and then we read several weeks back that Jesus went secretly. He went without them knowing, and he ends up in the temple where he would always end up doing what he would always do, and he was teaching. And of course, anytime he taught, the religious leaders would get frustrated with him. They'd try to trap him. They would be, they'd try to poke holes in what he was saying because they had it out to get him because they did not believe in him. And so this is the, where we're going to pick up and where we were previously was a conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees. And so he goes back and forth and he makes bold declarative statements about who he is. Two or three weeks ago, he said, I am the living water. It was the first of seven I am statements. And this week, he's going to make his second bold I am statement that he is the light of the world. And so we're going to look at this section where he talks about him being the light of the world. But before we get there, I just want to read a quote to introduce this section of Scripture. This is from John MacArthur's commentary on John 8. I just think this, this one sentence here summarizes the heart of this section. 
He says here on, on, on John 8, he says, We live in a dark world, a, a world eclipsed by the long shadow of sin. We live in a dark world, a world eclipsed by the long shadow of sin. And you know, that's how I feel about this world. You know, I, that's, that's the feeling that you get when you live in this life, when you live in a broken world. Sin has wreaked its havoc on humanity since its history, since the beginning, since the Garden of Eden, since Adam and Eve rebelled against God and they listened to the serpent. And since their rebellion, every man and woman, child that has ever been born, has been born under the long shadow of sin. And sin, sin is like a disease. It is, it, it, the, the only cure for it is the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. But we are under the effects of that sin. We are, we are under the effects of the curse of sin in our own lives, but in the creation, in the world itself. If you read through Romans 8, it says, it says in Romans 8 that creation itself is groaning for redemption. The world itself, the physical world, is broken. That's why we have hurricanes and tornadoes and that's why there's floods and there's storms and, and the world itself is broken. And then it says in Romans 8 that we ourselves, inwardly, we groan and we long to be redeemed and be free from the curse of sin. We live in a dark world and, and sin is pervasive in our culture. And as we continue on, in, uh, for generation after generation, as, tech, as technology increases, we can, we can see people parading their sin in many different ways in our world. We can see through social media and, 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 and TV and movies and, and the internet, we see sin paraded for everyone to look at. And we're living in Romans 1. We're living in Romans 1 where Romans 1 says that God has given man over to the lusts of their flesh, to, to live how they want to live. And, and ultimately, they, men who live that way, they, they ignore the reality of a creator and they become a god unto themselves and they worship the created thing, which is ultimately themselves. They worship what is created. They want to live how they want to live. And, and it says in Romans 1 that they do sinful deeds and sinful actions, but not only do they do that, but they celebrate and it's like it says in Romans 1, it gives a picture that they cheer on. They give hearty approval to others that are like them. Because, you know, misery loves company, right? The idea that, 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 that if you're living a sinful lifestyle, you want somebody to come alongside you to do it with you so you're not by yourself, right? And that's why it's so important, just a little side note, when you're wanting to get free of an area of sin in your life, a lifestyle, a direction that's ungodly, you got to change your friends, you got to change, if the friends that you hang out with are leading you down a path that you know is not godly and not right, if you want to change, if you genuinely want to walk free from that, you got to change your friends. And you, you may love those friends, those friends may be de- near and dear to your heart, and you may eventually be able to go back to those friends and win them from Christ, but until you are free, until the addiction and whatever sin you were in ha- doesn't have its grip on you, you have to walk away from those friends. And, God, and you may never be able to go back to those friends. God may have to send someone else into their life. And you, and you can be an intercessor for them. But that's, that's the place that we're in. You know, Ephesians 5, 11 says this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. This is, that's a description of sin. It's the work of darkness. It's darkness. We live in a dark world. 
It's unfruitful works of darkness. Isaiah 5.20 says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They call good evil and evil good. That's where we're at. That's the culture that we live in, the time that we live in. Good is evil and evil is good. It's dark. Romans 1.21, I was referencing in Romans 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The heart of man, the unregenerate heart of man is darkened. The lights are out. The lights are out. But you know what the hope is? Is that there is a light. <laughs> there is a light. And that, and that darkness cannot dispel the light. The light dispels the darkness. And that's the good news we're going to get at. I know you guys are ready for the good news, right? It's pretty dark. But there's light. And this is what Jesus declares in the temple to these rebellious, hard-hearted men that want to see him destroyed and kill him. They hate him. And this is what he says. Let's look at the text, Romans 8. And we'll read all the way through from verses 12 through verses 20. And then we'll unpack a few things here. So, John 8, 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And it says again there, because previously he said, I am the living water. Come to me all who are thirsty. And so he says again, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. I just want to pause real quickly right here to describe what's going on during the Feast of Tabernacles. At this time, in the evenings of the Feast of Tabernacle, they would have a light, uh, a, a lamp lighting ceremony that, that would take place. And there would be four can, can, candelabra. I think that's the correct way to say it. Four, you don't add the S. Is that correct? Candelabra? I'm asking my wife. Yeah, you don't know? Okay. Candelabras sound good, but uh, anyway, there's four candelabra in the temple that would be lit in the evening. And the light that would shine up into the night sky, it says, scholars say, that it was so bright coming up into the sky that the whole region around would be able to see the light. And they would celebrate, they would celebrate that the, the remembrance of God uh, pointing the direction for them to go in the wilderness by a pillar of fire at, at night. And so it says that when, when this would happen, that there would be dancing and celebration and singing of song. And they're celebrating God's faithfulness to guide them by night by a pillar of fire in the wilderness. And so this is why Jesus is saying what he's saying here. And, and, and I just love how he, he knows exactly what's going on. He knows the law better than these Pharisees know the law because he wrote the law. He is the word. He is the word incarnate. And he uses things that they would understand, that they would get, and they would see. And so he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So then the Pharisees, again, as they always do, said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. 
I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. You've heard him say this type of language previously in John. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. There's a lot in here, but I want to just look at four, four things from this text I think we need to look at this evening. Four things that stand out to me. The first one is this, is that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. He is the light that shines in the darkness. And that's what it says in verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I am. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. Jesus boldly declared. He wasn't, he wasn't, when Jesus walked the earth, he, he, he wasn't trying to mask who he was. He wasn't trying to hide it. He wasn't trying to come in covert and try to, uh, uh, you know, uh, sneak up on people with his message. He came out boldly and declared who he was. He performed miracles. He did mighty wonders and miracles. And he was coming with a clear message that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that no one was going to come unto the Father but through him. He was the light in the darkness. And that's what light does, right? It stands out. It's bold. Jesus is the light in the darkness. It, his message stands out. It's not uh, the gospel message. is not a message that you can hide under a bushel, right? In Matthew, we're told to not hide it under a bushel, right? But the, you can't hide the light. It's the, 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 the darkness is dispelled every time the light is seen. And so the gospel message, that's the core of the gospel message. That's what Jesus came to do, to shine the light. It, it, it's a bold message, and his light shines in the middle of the darkness. It shines, whether we want it to shine or not, it shines in the middle of this dark world. So what stands out? As I was thinking about this point, the fact that Jesus is the light in the middle of this dark world, what is it about the gospel that, that makes it stand out? What, what, what stands out about the gospel that makes it shine as a light in the darkness? You know, we're called to shine the light. But whether we shine the light or not, the, the light shines. Because Jesus is here. The gospel, is, it clearly shines. So what stands out about the gospel that makes it shine as a light in the darkness? Say it. It's truth. It's true. It's, it's living not by works right stands out yes it stands out the gospel stands out any other thoughts crickets okay I, I got four thoughts first one is this what makes the gospel stand out as a light in the middle of darkness first thing i, th- I thought of is it's 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 exclusivity that makes it stand out, right? It's an exclusive message. It could, if the gospel was not exclusive, it could blend in with any other message, right? They're all the same. Besides Christianity, every other approach to God, to being right with God, is the same. And it's all based on works. It's all based on man being good enough to earn favor with a holy God, with a God that's angry. Or, Man, man just ignoring the reality of a God and, and just trying to find their inner spirituality, right? But Christianity stands out in that 
Jesus says he's the only way. That the message that we preach, the message that Christ came to bring, was not a message that, that all roads lead to the same destination. He says there's only one road, and I am, the, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes into the Father but through me. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few be that find it. And this is the exclusivity of the gospel is what makes the light shine bright. And the, exclu- the exclusivity of the gospel, the fact that we preach an exclusive gospel, that Jesus is the only way, it's, it's what makes the light shine bright. It's what makes the light shine bright. But it also, if we preach it, it makes the light shine on us. And there's persecution that comes. There's ridicule that comes. There's people that, that will hate us because of our message. They'll ridicule us because of our message. So the, the exclusivity of the gospel makes it a light that shines in the midst of an inclusive world. It's all about being inclusive. You can't tell anybody that they're wrong about anything. You can't tell them they're wrong about their views on anything. Because this, there's an idea that there is no absolute truth. That there are no absolutes, that everything is subjective. It's up to your opinion and how you feel about it. How do you feel about that? How do you feel? How does that make you feel? Do you feel like you're, you're right? Do you feel like you're wrong? It's, it's, it's up to your feelings. But the gospel message is not about your feelings and, how, and, when, and what you think. The, 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 the message of the gospel is that it's true, that there is truth. There is right, there is wrong. There is one way. The second thing, and, and, and I, like, I, I like what Ms. Weber was saying here, that the second thing that stands out to me is that it's the message. So it's exclusive. It's the, Jesus is saying he's the only way, but it's the message that stands out too that makes it shine. So the message is, the good news is, is that it's a free gift, right? It's not by works. It's not by works lest any man should boast. And so it's a beautiful message. Every other way to get to God puts burdens on our backs, makes it difficult for us to get to God. There's no sense of peace, joy, rest, peace in Christ. You, you never know. How, how can I know if I'm right with God if it's based upon some standard of works? How do I know if I've done enough good works? How do I know if I've, I've pleased God enough? But through grace, by faith, we can have peace in our heart and we can know as we talked on Sunday that we are justified, that we are right before God. Our message is good news and it brings peace. The third thing I thought of is, is the changed lives. That the gospel changes people's lives. You can have somebody and you, you guys that are here, you are witnesses to that. You can have somebody that, that is the hardest, rebellious, heart, sinner, that wants nothing to do with God you got atheists that are throughout history that have rebelled against God, want nothing to do with God, and God takes their heart, that hard heart like we talked about in uh, week two of our DNA series. God's word is like a, a hammer that shatters the rocks, like a sledgehammer. And God can take the hardest heart and can crush that heart and somebody that you thought would never believe in Jesus and never serve him. God, by the power of the Spirit and the power of his word, they can be changed in an instant. That's what it's, it sets apart. It's, that's what makes the gospel a light in, a, in this dark world. And then lastly, not lastly, but my last thought that I had as to why the, the gospel is a light in the darkness is this. It's the commitment of Christ's disciples. And so I, I went to watch at the movies uh, Paul the Apostle of Christ on uh, 
yesterday at 2 o'clock. My father-in-law had an extra ticket, wasn't planning on going. So I recommend the movie, uh, but I don't, I, don't, I don't recommend you bring kids probably 12 and under. Because it's, 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 it's about, it's about the, the early church. It's, it's around AD 67 is the time period. Christ has been risen. Uh, Paul is in prison. And the church and it's set in Rome, and so the church is being persecuted, so they have scenes and pictures of bodies of Christians that are being burned in Rome because Nero was blaming the Christians for the Roman fire that he set. And so it's just some really some raw stuff that's dealt with there. But man, I, 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 was, I was floored. You know, I've, you, know you, you hear about the persecuted church, and, and you, we, we hear things in the news about the Coptic Christians that are being persecuted, and Christians all over the world being persecuted. But it was, it was very compelling to sit and watch a movie where I believe they accurately depicted the human experience of what it would have been like to be a Christian and have your very life threatened and your kids' lives threatened. There were several scenes where, where, where people, you see their doubts. They vocalize their doubts. Is it really worth it? Is this what Jesus died for? Is, this, is, is, this, is, is the way the way that we should go? And, and you see the battle between the gospel message being a, a message of love and forgiveness for the sinner and you have these Christians that are being persecuted, and you have a group of these early Christians that want to that draw swords. They want to take up arms. And Paul tells them that love is the way, that, that, that you have to love. You can't, you can't fight sword with sword. You have to fight with love. And, you have to, and God's called you to share this message with them. And so you saw that. And so it just, it was, it, I, just, I recommend it. And, but what's, what's powerful about the gospel is that you see the commitment of Christ's disciples throughout history. You know, I told Estelle when, when, when I got home, you know, the gospel message has traveled down t- to us on a sea of blood, on a river of blood. It's traveled down to us on a river of blood. People have lost their life over the centuries for the message that I'm preaching right now, that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. That, that statement right there, people have died for that statement, for that truth. So it's very sobering, very sobering. And, and, and that's what makes it stand out. That's what makes it stand out. That this is, not, this is not just an isolated thing that we've come to understand in the last decade. This is something that for over 2,000 years, men and women have given their lives up for this truth, for the truth that we're gonna talk about on Sunday, for the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he literally rose from the dead. And that by, by the power of the resurrection, lives are changed and the gospel has gone forward for over 2,000 years. And it is unstoppable. The gospel is unstoppable. Man has tried to stop it year after year, decade after decade, century after century. Men have tried to stop it. But you can't stop it. You can't stop the gospel message. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. So that's the first thing I see in this text. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, I am the light of the world. You can't put me out. And I'm, and, and I'm going to stand out. I didn't come to blend in. As Christians, we have not come, we have not been called to blend in. Whether you want to blend in or not, you can't blend in if you're a Christian. If you are a genuine Christian, you will not blend in in your life. You will stand out. If the light of Christ, who is the light of the world, dwells in your heart, you will shine. His light will shine in you. You will stand out. Second thing I see 
is that we are called to follow the light. The light shines in the darkness. And that's what he says there. We're called, secondly, to follow the light. Go back to verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the second thing here is that Jesus, first, he is the light. But he's not just the light that we, we just, we, we believe in him. We make mental ascent. Yes, he was a real man. He was really crucified. He was really raised. I'm a believer, but I'm really not going to change my life. It's really not going to impact my everyday life. That's foreign to the idea, to, to, to the picture of Christianity in the, in, in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, in Paul's writings. It's nowhere there to be found. That's why Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me. It's, it's a follow. We're followers. We're called to be followers of Jesus Christ. Called to be followers. And that's what I think was going on during this. That's the picture of the, of the, of the lamp lighting ceremony. Is that, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what I believe Jesus is saying here. He's telling these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, you followed, your ancestors followed the fire, pillar of fire at night in the wilderness. But I'm telling you that I'm the greater light and you need to follow me. You followed that light, but that's not the eternal light. I'm the eternal light. I'm the light that shines in the darkness. You need to follow me, and that's Christianity. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, you follow the pillar of fire in the wilderness as God's provision for your direction, but you must now follow me if you will have true light and life. So Christianity is a call to discipleship. It's a call to follow Christ. Being a believer in Jesus is not just a mental assent to facts about the life of Jesus or a belief in his teachings as being good or noble. It's, it's a call to come and die. It's a call, Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's Christianity. That's the core of Christianity. It is a laying down of our life and it is a surrender of our life that we would follow him. Lord, whatever you want, I'll go wherever. I'll do whatever. I'll, I am your disciple. You want me to go this direction and obey you here? You want me to lay this down? You want me to marry this person? You want me to take this job? You want me to say no to that? I'll do whatever. Do whatever, go wherever, say whatever. I am your follower. I follow you. I am your disciple. You know, there's an interesting, what seems to be a harsh uh, conversation Jesus has with a a man in Matthew 8. And I I want to bring some some clarity to this, and it really talks about the cost of discipleship, the cost of being a follower. Uh, Matthew eight eighteen through 22. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. That sound good? Sounds like, man, this guy's got it figured out, right? That's a true disciple. And that's what I was just saying, right? True disciple says, I'll go wherever you go. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Looks good right now. Then Jesus says, okay, all right, bud, let me tell you what it's going to look like, what your life's going to look like. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to sign up for that? You want to come follow me? We're not going to have a bed to lay on. We'll have to lay our head on a rock. We'll have no home. You'll be an outcast. It's going to cost you something. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, here's what the harsh thing, the apparent 
harsh statement. Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. What's Jesus saying there? At first glance, you're like, man, this guy's harsh. Like, the guy's dad just died. Let him go have the funeral. Like, give him about a half hour. Let him go bury his dad. And then, yeah, he can come follow you. But what's going on here? That phrase that this man was saying, let me first go and bury my father, it, it was a known common figure of speech during that time that meant this. Let me wait until I receive my inheritance. So foxes have nowhere to go. The birds have nowhere to go. That's what it's going to be like to come and follow me. And this guy says, well, hey, just look. look it seems like it's a pretty bad life for me to come follow you. You look like you know, I may not have the money that I know I'll have when my dad dies. So won't you let me go bury him first? Let me wait till he dies. I get my inheritance. And then, hey, I can help out the cause. Right? I have some money. We can make it work. I mean, you kind of adding to a little bit there but that's the heart of what is he saying here and that that was a common phrase that would have been said during that time hey let me go bury my father first i gotta wait on my inheritance the old man's not dying yet uh so but jesus was getting to the heart of his heart that when when he said it's going to cost you something and that's kind of like the rich young young ruler right The, 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 the he had a lot of money and, and the rich young ruler said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said, you, you know the commandments. And he went through the, through the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, hey, I've kept all of those from my youth. And then Jesus said, well, you still lack one thing. And he got straight to his heart. Go and give all that you have. Give it to the poor. Distribute it. Then come follow me. Because the Lord Jesus knew that his heart, that money was an idol in his life. It's the same thing with this guy here. He, it was going to cost him something, so he said, hey, I'll, I'll come in a little while. I'll come, I'll come find you, but I've got to wait on my dad to die first so I can get what's due me. And, and Jesus is making a point here that discipleship costs something. It, it, it's, it's a cost. It's not just an easy believism that I just add Jesus to my life, and, 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 and I'm going to do things my way, and I'm going to live my way. I'm going to have it... By my rules. And Jesus, I'm going to, I think you have some pretty good teachings. I'm going to add you to my life and, 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 and put you on the list of, of good ideas to follow. No, it's all or nothing. That's, that's the nature of Christianity. It's all or nothing. And that's, that's why the early church was persecuted. That's why they stood out. Because they were believing in an exclusive gospel. They were believing in something that was counter to the culture. And especially in this movie that, that, I, that I watched, especially in Rome. They believed in a multiplicity of gods, and they sacrificed to multiple gods. And the disciples are saying, there's only one way. It is, it is the way that we follow. It cost us something. That's the second thing I see in this text. Jesus says, I'm the light, and you have to follow me. Come, follow me. Follow me. Leave everything. Lay down your life. Follow me. Third thing I see in this text is that those who follow will not stumble in the darkness. Jesus is the light. He stands out. And we're called to follow the light. That's the title of my message, by the way. Follow, follow the light. And when we follow the light, when we follow the light, we will not stumble in the darkness. That's what it says there in 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I think, I think that the primary meaning of this phrase, will not walk in darkness, is the idea that we will not walk in sin. We will not have a pattern of, 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 in our life of walking in sin. 
We will not pursue as a consistent pattern of our life ways of unrighteousness. We will not walk in the darkness of this world because we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of, 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 of Christ, to the kingdom of his son. And so we're not going to walk in darkness. But, but also see a picture here of the fact that because we're not in the darkness, that we're not going to stumble around like the world does. And, and, and this is the picture I, I, I thought of as I was reading this text. I just see, again, as we were saying earlier, we live in a dark world. It is so dark. Sin, sin's curse has impacted this world and people's lives so much. And I just see people fumbling around. Those that, those, that, those, that, those that don't know Christ are just fumbling around, stumbling around in the darkness looking for something. They're looking for something. They're looking for hope. You know, I thought of the, of the chorus of that U2 song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, that's, that's, that's the world. And, and they'll search in so many different ways, so many different places. And they have this hole in their heart, this emptiness. And they're looking for something to fill that emptiness. And, and, and I'll tell you what it is. That emptiness, it's a sense of purpose. Why am I here? Why am I here? What, what, what's the meaning of life? I mean, is there any meaning in life? Are we just, you know, if you grow up in American schools, I'm sure around the world as well, if you, if you grow up in schools, you're told that everything is just a result of a cosmic accident. And so if, if everything is a result of a cosmic accident, then there's really no ultimate purpose. If we're just the result of evolution, then there really is no ultimate purpose. There's no meaning. We're not uniquely designed. That's, what, that's why the, the, the reality that we are created and, and, and designed means that when the creator creates and designs something, that means there's a unique purpose for it. And that's what we see in Scripture. That's what we know to be true. That's why when we look at the world, it's obvious there's a designer. Because everything is so intricately woven and created together. The universe and us as humans, our physical bodies. But people are, when, when they believe the lies of, of this dark world and the lies of Satan and they're deceived by Satan, they don't be, they're looking for purpose. They're looking for answers and they try to fill it in so many different places. In relationships, in drugs, in alcohol, in, in a career, in making money, in being famous in, in authority and position and influence. And, and they, they just place all of their energies and efforts in certain things. And, and, and it's like, here's a picture I get. It's like this towel, this, this rag full of liquid. It's like they, they drain out. They, they drain out everything out of that one thing that they're pursuing until there's nothing left. And when they realize there's nothing left in that, then they go to the next thing. And they wring it out until there's nothing left. And, and the heart cry of the gospel the, the message of the gospel is that, is that there is hope, that there's light, that Jesus is the way to forgiveness of sins and Jesus is the way to, to regain your purpose in life, to be reconnected to your creator, to be able to know what your destiny is. That's the heart of the gospel. And that what happens is, is that those who follow Christ, the joy is, is that we don't stumble in the darkness, right? We, we, we have a a quiet, this is what I wrote down. As followers of Jesus, we live with a quiet confidence. Sometimes, as Christians, we tend to lose that quiet confidence. And the darkness can creep in a little bit into our life. And we can have doubts and fears and unbelief that creep in. But whenever we are reminded of truth, and the Spirit reminds us of truth, 
that, that quiet confidence rises up in our heart and, and we know what we know is true and we believe it. And, and that's how we live. We're not stumbling, fumbling around in life. We have purpose. We have meaning. We have a calling. Do you guys believe that? I believe that. I believe that. I believe what 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12 says. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Man, when, when, I, when I read that this afternoon, again, I just, that, that movie, Paul the Apostle of Christ, is just fresh in my mind. still have those images running through my head. And when I read that, I just thought, man, yes, Lord. Do not, like, like, like you see why he wrote it. Like, that's why he wrote that. Because it had been easy for them to be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord. But he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. So Paul speaking, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know, this is the quiet confidence, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced, or other translations say, I am confident, that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. That quiet confidence. God, I, I know that you are able. That you are with me. That you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You're going to guard the deposit you placed in me. Amen? So Jesus is the light. You've got to follow the light. And those who follow the light, we don't stumble around looking for answers. We have the answer. We have the truth. And because of that, we have a quiet confidence of peace in our heart last thing i see in this text it's the sad reality the last thing is this is that the darkness is a deceiver the darkness is a deceiver let's go back to the text i just want to key on verse 13 so jesus tells them i am the light of the world you follow me you will have light you will have the light of life and what do the pharisees say you're you're bearing witness about yourself you're not true your testimony is not true. And what were they referencing? They were referencing Deuteronomy 17.6. This was a part of the law. They were saying something that was true. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death, but a person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. That's what they were referencing. That's the only thing they could think to say to Jesus when he says, I am the light of the world, and if you follow me, you are the light of life. And they say, wait a minute, man. You're testifying about yourself. Like anybody can say they're the son of God. Anybody can say that they're God. But you're saying it. And this is what they're saying. They're saying nobody else is saying it. Nobody else is saying it, Jesus. You're the only one. Is that true? Is that true that that Jesus is the only one saying he's the son of God? Wasn't there some guy a while ago... In this book we were studying that was talking, what was his name? John the Baptist. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. We studied this earlier. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness 
to bear witness about the, the light of the world that all might believe through him. He was not the light, John the Baptist was, but he came to bear witness about the light. And they, they believed John. They looked up to John. They respected John. These Pharisees, they had amnesia. They said, you bear witness. You, you're, you're the only witness about who you say you are. Well, wait a minute. What about John the Baptist? You forgot about his testimony? Well, he wasn't the only one. Let's look at John 12. Do you remember whenever Lazarus was raised from the dead? There's there some other witnesses. John 12, 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. Right? So miracles were taking place and people were bearing witness to Christ's deity. And this is what you see again. Same type of picture. John 5, 33 through 36. You sent to John and he came and has bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, speaking of John the Baptist. And you were willing, listen to what he's saying here, you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. You believed John. You believed him. And that's what, that was the argument he made earlier. If you believe John, why don't you believe me? Because John testified about me. So you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. And here's the other witness. So you have John the Baptist as a witness. Then you have people as a witness that saw the works. They witnessed it. But the works themselves, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So there's other witnesses. John the Baptist was a witness. The Father in heaven, when he spoke down at Jesus' baptism, witnessed about Christ, about Jesus being the Messiah. And the and the, the, the last witness, not the last witness, but the last one for tonight, John five thirty nine. as he continues on, he tells them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. The scriptures themselves, the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies about the coming Messiah, where he was going to be born, how he was going to be born, from a virgin, to, to a T, everything he fulfilled. How can you control the place of your birth? You can't. How can you, you can't control that you're going to be born of a virgin. You can't control how you're going to die. He, he, he fulfilled every prophecy. And so the scriptures themselves, that they were supposed to be the keepers of, the scribes and the Pharisees, supposed to be the keepers of the law, they should have known these. They should have known that these bore witness of him. So Jesus did not, was not the only witness. So here's, here's the point. The darkness is a deceiver. Jeremiah 17, 9 is true. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can, who can understand it? These Pharisees, looking at all the testimony, looking at the witnesses, seeing the testimony of John the Baptist, seeing the fulfilled prophecies in the Old Testament, seeing the miracles, knowing the miracles, and seeing the great works that Jesus, is, Jesus was doing. Their heart was deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? Darkness is a deceiver. And, 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 and the father of darkness is the father of lies. John eight forty three through 45 says this. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. This is, this is Satan. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar. And the father of lies. He's a prince of darkness. 
but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. The darkness is a deceiver. Satan is a deceiver. Satan is a liar. And he just like he want, just like he 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 wants he wanted to keep these Pharisees and these scribes and these Jews in darkness. He he wants to keep everybody in the darkness. He wants to keep their eyes blinded. First John five nineteen says this: For we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies. Some translations say is in the lap, in the power of the evil one. This is his realm. This is Satan's realm. This earth is Satan's realm, and he keeps people in darkness. with his lies and you know what the glorious responsibility that we have is to shine that light the only way that anybody's going to come to salvation is if the is if they hear the light of the glory the light of the glorious gospel of jesus christ it's the only way it's the power of god into salvation so i just want to end with this scripture this is the reality this is this is the heart the the darkness is a deceiver the darkness is Motivated by Satan, his lies, his demons, is powerful, but it stands no match. It's not a match against the truth, against the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is this is the ministry that we have. Second Corinthians four one through six. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So we'll stop right here. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart when you watch Fox News. Don't lose heart when you watch CNN or any other news outlet. Don't lose heart when you look at your news feed on Facebook and social media. Don't lose heart. The dark will continue to get darker. People that are in the dark, they're just going to do dark things. That's what they do. The heart is deceitful above all things. Don't lose heart. Don't believe that the light can ever be put out because it can't. It cannot. Don't lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. We're not going to join in with the dark because we're not of the dark. We're not going to tamper with God's word. But by an op- the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And here's how it's veiled. In their case, the God, lowercase g, Satan, the the father of lies of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I'm the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's looking at these men that are in the darkness. And Satan is keeping them blinded. Jesus is the light. The light their source of freedom was right in front of them. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, and thanks be to God. It's a gift of God, that his light, that, that, you know, and that's what's so powerful. At a, at a moment's time, that light, that blindness that is over the eyes and the heart of an, of an unbeliever, at a, in a moment's time, by the power of the Spirit, through the Word of God, the light can break through the darkness. And we can see, and that's what's happened to us. That's what happens to us. The light has shined out of darkness and has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. God, I thank you for your Word. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Lord, and you call, you, you have called us, and you are continuing to call others to, 
to follow the light, to follow you, to become a disciple of you, not just, not just something that we add to our life that we think will make us a better person, but to what you are calling disciples, followers. And Lord, I just pray Lord, that you would help us to shine your light. Lord, I pray that, you would not, that we would not put a bushel over your light, but Lord, that we would shine it bright for everyone to see so that those that are in darkness, that they would, not, they would no longer stumble around in the darkness looking for their purpose, looking for meaning. Lord, that they would find the face of Jesus Christ to be beautiful. And they would come and surrender to him and follow him as Lord. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.